Welcome to the Tokenomics DAO podcast, where we explore everything tokenomics related, ranging from deep dives on the tokenomics of the newest protocol to demystifying the nuance of building a successful token ecosystem. Our goal is to bring awareness to the importance of tokenomics and the crucial role it plays in defining the success of a protocol, helping make tokenomics relevant for everyone, builders and investors alike. I'm your host, Flo, joined by my co-hosts, Jason and or Lovis. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to episode 25 of the Tokenomics Cell podcast. Um, today, I'm going to play interviewer to Flo and Mason. Um, we recently just launched the tokenomics design framework in the DAO, in the tokenomics DAO, and these two have been doing 99% of the work creating it. So I wanted to get on here and basically give them a chance to explain to us what this is, why we created it and how it's useful. And that's why we're doing like kind of this interview format. I'm just trying to play dumb um, and ask them a bunch of questions about it. Welcome guys. Yeah, cool. Good to be here. I'm excited. <laughs> so let's jump in. So what is this? Uh, we call it TDF for short, the tokenomics design framework. Um, People might for lack of a better naming, like options. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think like it, it, it sort of describes it, and it, it is a framework that helps you to DIY your tokenomics, and that's really super short. That's what the goal is. We found that something like that didn't exist, and so yeah. That's really what we what we try to create so that everybody who, and, and we see this a lot when people reach out to us for consulting or for help and we tell them, hey, this is, it's it's quite the process, right? And if you want to sign up for premium consulting, then that's not going to, you're not going to get away with a thousand bucks for that. And um, <clears throat> that's why a lot of them then go ahead and, and try to DIY their tokenomics with mixed results, I guess. It's not always that successful. And so since they're doing it themselves anyway, we thought like we're just giving them something so that the outcome might get better. And so this is this is an MVP. This is MVP one. We just thought we're going to get something out um, and then iterate based on that. So living document. Yeah. But yeah, that's what, what it is. Yeah. And like adding to that, uh, there's also this level of whenever we do get, for example, people coming to us asking for advice, a lot of this, a lot of this stuff, as in, they have to go through it anyway. As in, all the information is going to come from them, right? So, us, it's just one barrier for us having to say, okay, well, I mean, you're gonna have to look at this, uh, then uh, maybe think about this. So, having sort of a framework for them to go through beforehand is just going to make things a lot more efficient for them and for us, right? And get people and get us to where we want to be. Yeah, that's like a. I think that's like a huge bonus, right? Because we. We're going to use this ourselves and we've done so in different versions, right? We've used like the, maybe like the first alpha version to design or think about our own token. And then we, we use different versions with different clients. And um, so this is going to help us a lot too. And so we're really going to let every contributor that gets into consulting um, use this with clients. Even if we do the whole consulting thing, we're going to use this because I, I really think if, if we use as, as much as possible, it's going to get better. Right. Well, so basically we're trying to build tools, right. In this DAO to 
help people break down tokenomics and of course we're making them from the experience that we collect along the way doing the work ourselves and so so you said this is an mvp so most a minimal viable product right but towards what like can you say a little bit about the bigger vision <clears throat> yeah yeah so the the name or and, and that's what you can see on the website we called it the tokenomics hub and i guess we have multiple ideas on on where we can or where we want to take this currently the tokenomics hub we're building this out for builders specifically so this is really targeted at people that are building their tokenomics we we have some ideas on doing something for investors too because i think a lot of the stuff that we publish on substack is not only interesting for builders but also for investors and really if you if you think about it a little bit deeper and you look at the tokenomics design framework you'll quickly see that it's like you can just ask the questions slightly different and then you'll find out if the tokenomics were designed properly um and that will help you as an investor too but this is really for for builders and it all comes together under the what we call the tokenomics hub and yeah figma we'll start with we're thinking of maybe putting this into our own portal at a later stage but first we really want to um we have like four different topics that we want to come cover mvp wise first that's uh, this design, that's like the whole process of designing a token. Um, the second one would be review because we get that question a lot. Like people have created something with their token um, and then don't know how to how to review it. And so it's pretty much just using the design, but with different angles to have a look at it, right? So we maybe start with the demand drivers or we'll start with the value creation or the business model and then guide them through slightly differently. Um, that's one thing. And the third would be post-launch. So there's obviously lots of tokens out there that have already launched and might want a review of their tokens. So on episode 23, I think, we've talked about that with BanklessDAO because they have a tokenomics department. And it's quite interesting what they do, right? They have like a whole department that takes care of that. And they, they go through this um, talk to others, what they could improve, innovate on with their token. And then they make proposals within the DAO. So we we think that we can help them too in going through this, this whole process in updating tokenomics that are already alive. And then um, other things that we do typically in consulting engagements, you Lovis, you've done um, one of these, right? Where like a traditional corporation or a web two company comes to us and and is interested in thinking through if if it would make sense for them to get onto this web3 token topic and um so this is more like an exploration exploration type so we have some ideas for that too so that's kind of like the midterm where we want to take the tokenomics hub okay so design review post launch kind of review slash recommendation and then this whole ideation slash exploration topic right so these are the four big ones exactly we're going to yeah. attack here for the uh, tokenomics hub and so the tokenomics design framework is kind of the first step on that first part of that list basically cool well let's um let's jump in right so the framework has a really nice structure um also outlined it very well on the twitter thread that we posted i got i don't know where it's at like 1200 likes or something we're super happy about that um but yeah could we? Could you just uh, talk us through? Should I share my screen, maybe, so we can see the the points? Or do you want to share it? Um. Yeah, oh, we can really. do it. I can do it here. 
Okay. So it starts up here. So you kind of give the intro already, right? So this is the total yeah. tokenomics yeah. design framework and, overview. And maybe just one thing for that. Um, mm -hmm. while we're while we're there, right? You see this need help, and <clears throat> of course we we want to to some degree also pay our contributors, and um, we don't want to stop doing consulting and providing our expertise. So we just thought of of this way to start with that, right? The whole design framework is free, right? You can download the FigGem file that we have. You can use it. There's no, no costs um, with that at all. But if you kind of want to get some help, like chat with us on our Discord server with experts or contributors from our DAO that we've vetted and um, that they've done consulting projects and they've written articles, then they have seen a bunch of projects. Um, yeah, so we have a tier for that at $50 per month and um, a, a couple of others or two others, Navigator and Frontier, as we call them. Uh, Navigator would really be lower touch, but more than Discord, right? We'd have conversations with you guys, um, Q&A in, in that channel and chats and like comments. And then we'll have a more hands-on approach, Frontier, where, uh, yeah, we'd, we'd really have a dedicated um, contributor that takes care of the client or of the person going through the tokenomics design framework and helping out to flesh this all out um, with weekly meetings, weekly calls to ask questions, discuss stuff. So yeah, that's that's kind of what we're thinking of in terms of like if you're stuck or you need help, there's like three different options that we have. Perfect. And so as you said, the framework is free. Basically, it gives everybody a chance to walk through by themselves, maybe also in preparation of then doing uh, approaching consulting or, or, but of course you can use it and apply it as is, right? So maybe people will not use help or maybe they've already created their own stuff and this is a good sanity fine, check they yeah. can walk yeah. through. Right? Yeah, totally fine, yeah. So we've got the business assessment. Um, we. Yeah, we really think it's super important to start with that uh, because, um, yeah, the token is not the business. And in, in most cases, there should be something underlying whatever you need a token for. So there needs to be some problem that you're solving. And that's where we're starting, right? We're starting with this problem statement where we say, um, or where we ask a couple of questions, right? What's the problem you're solving? Um, how does your... How does your project approach and, and go about solving that problem? And then we've got a bunch of resources you can read through. And, and this is kind of how this framework works. So we thought this would be a good way to start, right? To, to go into um, the business first and then, um, yeah, using FigJam on the, to the right. So this is just like a little screenshot that from the Twitter thread, but in the real um, framework, We'll then kind of have uh, like a box where yeah, you can I'll, put in sticky notes I'll and examples. And yeah, continue like if you want. It's, for, for in there, it's also right? on the website. If you go, just go to the website. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what, that's really good, right? If if you want to um, get the fig jam file and don't want to wait until the end of the podcast or click on the link. 
if you just go to tokenomicsdao.xyz and then click on tokenomics hub there is a link that should take you to figma where you nice. can get a copy of the framework right so the, the, and that's yeah i think that's it's really cool that we have used figma for it um cuz they're great a great tool for just that um cuz then you 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 can <clears throat> basically clone this complete thing as a template and then you can share that with your team you could share that with us and you can collaborate on it right so you can add your sticky notes you can add your your stuff to it and um add comments like the comments features in in this are pretty cool too yeah, I mean, yeah. people just saw me literally walk through the process of getting it, right? Super straightforward. <laughs> I actually had, uh, I have a Figma account. And of course, I already have it in there. I just use different browsers. That's why I have to uh, go through the sign up again. But anyway, yeah, so this Figma or FigJam is like an, one of these infinity whiteboard tools, right? So it's super easy to use. You can, you know, zoom in wherever you want, scroll around, fly around. But anyway, you have here, what you were saying is you have your instructions and your video even embedded over here and then you have your work area where you can uh, you can even see an example and maybe we can talk through that here in a second um, and then yeah. you can get to work right away and even you can even collaborate with people on your own board right so that's really cool yeah yeah, yeah so i could now join lois could send me his file to mason myself and then we could add notes to that like completely asynchronously i could start tomorrow morning well, Lois is still asleep and, and get this all sorted out. And he could come in, review that, use the comment feature to add comments and we could discuss stuff. So I think it's really, really cool, especially if you have um, <laughs> teams that work remote are in different locations um, to, to, Time to zones, really share yeah. this. Time zones, yeah, yeah. I found that really cool when we created it, Mason, when uh, I... You know, we had like a call. Usually we have like these meet... Like this is my evening now, right? It's like my... Yeah. it's like yeah. 7 30 p.m and so we'd have a chat about what we wanted to do and then i'd i'd go to bed sometime and then you just like get to work on done. this and so yeah the next morning i wake up and it's like halfway done and i could then go and then we could have another chat in the next uh, in the evening so yeah, yeah. that was that was kind of nice and it was it was good because like we didn't step on on each other's toes in that regard as in <laughs> as you went to bed i worked and as i went to bed you worked yeah. But even if you do like work with this tool, with this file, I'm not trying to shill Figma here, but <laughs> even yeah. if you do work in the same time file and probably Miro is the same, there's a whole bunch of others, who cares? But even if you do, it it still synchronizes everything super nicely. Yeah. Like you can't you can't mess up here. There's no yeah. I, I yeah, like five years ago when you use Word and it was sort of on SharePoint, you'd always end up with this situation where it was like you had like a hundred copies and stuff was broken and you went through the pain of synchronizing them back together. So uh yeah, it is it is really seamless as in working yeah. multiple people at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um so we have the Uniswap example on here. Do you guys maybe Mason, can you talk us through that a little bit for the first part here? Or yeah, sure. So I guess this first part is sort of getting, like we said, an idea of the business itself rather than directly thinking about a token, right? Because as I mentioned, I mean, tokens don't solve problems. They sort of just like amplify things, so to speak. 
So I guess uh, what is, I guess, the inherent demand for the product, right? What is it solving is uh, is like its problem statement, right? So in the case of Uniswap, it's to swap tokens in a decentralized non-custodial manner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously back in the day, that was that was very desirable because the, before Uniswap, there wasn't many ways to sort of do that, right? Um, and then just like, and I didn't know, I guess the way that it works is using an automated market uh, maker, right, model. So I guess that's sort of like the, uh, the, the, the problem it's solving and that's the inherent demand, I guess, in my opinion. Um, and that yeah. can obviously be done without a token as we saw for many years with Uniswap. Yeah, right. they, they exactly, didn't have yes. a token for that, right? Exactly. Yeah. So what, yeah, what you just said is, uh, maybe confusing, but it's not right. So Uniswap launched without a token. So here we're not even again. We're, we're just looking at the business and what's the what's the problem that it's solving, right? When there's no mention of a token yet, really. Mm. It's uh, just a product, isn't it? It's just literally yeah. a service that is being provided and solving a problem. And in this current stage, we don't really care about if it has a token or not, right? Right. Okay, so the problem statement and then value proposition and value creation, so. Yeah, so the value proposition is pretty much that, right? It's uh, a place for people who have liquidity um, to sort of uh, share it with people who need liquidity, right? Uh, and that's somewhat like the how value is created too, right? It's, it's sort of like a marketplace for those two things to be uh, connected. Um, and then as that gets bigger and bigger, liquidity gets deeper and deeper, then you have like lower slippage, um, and then uh, it's also obviously uh, built on a trustless system, right? So anybody can, well, obviously, as we stated before, like in a decentralized manner, anybody can sort of do this without permission from uh, anybody else or the Uniswap devs, anything like that, right? So I guess between those two things, you're sort of asking, like, what is the the unique uh, selling point of the product, right? What is it? How is it solving it, so to speak? Um, yeah. The value it's creating in doing that and then uh, what is i guess its competitive advantage um and i guess that is obviously as the liquidity gets deeper and deeper then it's just going to be better for traders right and that obviously then makes it more attractive for lps yeah absolutely okay so yeah, problem yeah. statement value proposition value creation and then, yeah, then in, in the framework maybe you just there's like this other section to the side um for those who don't see it right where, where you can then just go ahead and do that answer that each of these steps for yourself so we've got this what, one example yeah. for uniswap and then for the others you can just go in and do that and um yeah maybe in the future we've been talking about it we're thinking about it maybe add some additional protocols for reference um that'd be cool mm-hmm. and then yeah. i guess like the the last part in this business assessment is like growth and evolution right and so how will it sort of gain more value as it starts to be used? So pretty much it, it, they're all some sort of similar in some regard, but I mean, going through them methodically sort of brings out like maybe some flaws in in, in thinking and whatnot, but obviously in the case of Uniswap, there isn't many flaws. <laughs> it's a pretty uh, verified product, so to speak. So obviously adding the more liquidity there is, then um, the better, the, and then obviously the more, uh, I guess desire people have to sort of add more tokens and then the i guess the marketplace just gets bigger and bigger um and then with that there's also this idea that maybe didn't uh didn't occur to many people initially but if you sort of are sort of an, uh, an lp you can also hedge risk right you can also have protection 
uh, to a volatile token um, simply by being an LP. And obviously this is like, has to be managed properly, but it's, it's also um, something that many people do LP for, right? And uh, I guess that's sort of how it's evolved over time. Um, and obviously the initial uh, reason for somebody to actually deposit liquidity, right, was obviously to gain yield on their like static assets, so to speak. So as more people sort of realize that rather than just holding Ethereum, they could LP, let's see, let's say uh, ETH and USDT or UCC, something like that, then you can have sort of like a, a yield uh, rather than just be holding a static asset. So that's sort of like how it's changed, uh, grown and sort of like evolved over time. Um, or I guess how you project it could, right? Yeah. yeah. And there could be other things like, you know, technological advancements, like, I don't know when they came up with that or how they did that, but they, you know, they also have these, these hops where you can like trade between different tokens and they, they try to find the, the way that has the lowest fees or lowest, um, slippage. slippage. Yeah. All yeah. through that chain. Yeah. So I guess that could be stuff that you could put in there. It's right? just like go through the roadmap, grow, think about how your project will, will grow over time. Mm -hmm. And, um, Yeah gain value essentially but don't look at the token in this first step we don't want to talk about anything token here yeah it's not like it's going to grow because we're going to release a token yeah. that isn't <laughs> as an yeah, option exactly. for, for this right right yeah so exactly so basically this is like a mini i don't want to say business plan but you're just trying to get super clear on the problem you're solving the value creating and how you can see it evolving over time right and then yeah. so that already helps many people i think identify problems in their idea um and then so next step would be token evaluation so what goes on over here um yeah so this is where yeah. you go mason <laughs> yeah so so i guess this is like uh where we sort of do ask okay so if you verified your product so to speak or your business uh like proposition then we're going to sort of evaluate, does it make sense to have uh, a token, right? So in the case of Uniswap, it's a good and bad example uh, in the sense that, well, just because they had a, I guess, a viable product, uh, like we said, for many years, they didn't have a token. So um, sort of going through some steps to sort of think about if you sort of need, uh, right, a token is actually needed is quite important, right? Before obviously thinking about, um, implementations of a token okay um so but in the case of, of like uniswap again it's a pretty poor example because literally they just sort of <laughs> were forced into uh, releasing their token so to speak um because sushi swap sort of uh, like was vampire attacking them <laughs> because they sort of released the token too um so i guess the way the way they they went about it was well we sort of have to do it um and we're just gonna do it and get it over with so we're going to release it uh to lps and then sort of like wean them off of it slowly right um but i guess this doesn't really speak to as in this example doesn't really speak to uh, how you would sort of uh, go about assessing if you sort of need a token yourself right so i guess this is where we sort of like uh, think about okay so what is actually what is it that you're actually trying to do right so obviously community-based products do benefit quite a bit from uh, a token simply because of, of the nature of, of tokens, right? And how they sort of uh, group um, people together and like uh, can sort of align community incentives, right? So 
if you've got an understanding of what your business is uh, is going to do, right? Can a uh, well, first, obviously, in, what you should look at is should um, is it dependent on a community, right? Um, and then if it is, then that's obviously a very strong factor to sort of think about. Uh, okay, so a token probably doesn't make sense. Then we can sort of then look at okay, so what are the uh, I, I guess use cases um, for for that in uh, in the system? I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean. Um... Yeah, tokens help to coordinate communities, but they also help um, kind of capture some of the value that community itself creates, right? So it's it's that's cool. But and I mean, I and guess for them it you, might be whole yeah, go ahead. governance, right? Of of deciding yeah. what the product does, and I think that's what they now do. They they have these Uniswap proposals, and people vote on it. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe they didn't want it in the beginning, but now I guess they're using it. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's like. Do you do you want sort of like to, it to be community owned? Is a very good uh, point, isn't it? Mm -hmm. like, is your goal to sort of to to eventually get to that state? Yeah. <laughs> right. So I've been in consulting project with a Web two company, and they were trying to evaluate if they could want to kind of be a technology partner, kind of launch a DAO with you know with a purpose, solving a specific problem, but using their tech. And we kept coming back to well. If you give it to a DAO, then they can eventually decide what to do with it. Like, are you sure you want that? Because that would that has implications of what you how you develop your tech further, right? And they're like, huh, that's a good point. Um, mm. Well, we kind of like our CEO to be in charge. <laughs> so it's <laughs> it's a uh, yeah. I mean, you you have to be clear on the implications, right? So yeah, this, this is great. Hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, so here we're going to number three, users. Yeah, so I guess users is probably the 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 core piece. Like it's like if you're building a business, you're you gotta have some you have some client, some customer, and or some users of your product. And so this is really what we're we're trying to look at is mm -hmm. who are the people who are using the stuff that we're building. And we're gonna go through a couple of different steps here. And we we called it the circle model because it's a whole bunch of different circles. And we're trying to <laughs> layer this circle from the inside out. So um, for those who are not watching this, only listening, it's kind of like in this FigGem file, there's this section with a whole bunch of huge um, circles that just get like wider and wider. And in these circles, you can fit your post-it notes, your, your, your notes that you have. And we'll start from the inside per user that we have identified. You could call them agents, you could call them personas, whatever. Um, we just happen to call them users. So in the case of Uniswap, there's a liquidity provider. And we'll start from the inside out and just simply define what they do, um, the tasks they perform. So in the case of Uniswap, the liquidity provider, he provides liquidity, they set a price range, and they set fees. So that's, that's what these guys do. And um, then it goes on from there. So we have like a whole bunch of... Yeah, circles adding to that. So the next question would be why they use the product. So we'd figure that out. Um, and Mason already said it for liquidity providers, it's mitigating risk. Um, or it is also collecting fees on idle capital. 
Um, and and then yeah, we slowly move through the circle, and on the on the right hand side, like for your project, for, in the example we've only given one, uh, we've given an example for one user, but yeah, you would you would copy that for three, four, five, whatever, how many users you have. So yeah, I'm I'm doing this with the client right now, and we have, I think like five different or four different circles, and um, yeah, they're full of post-its notes of of stuff that they use. And we're exploring how they will interact, what value they add. That's kind of the next step then where, um, yeah, we think about like not only why they use the product, but what do they do? They create an efficient market. They might provide this deep liquidity um, that attracts people on our side, on the other side, traders to to trade. Like if you have a lot of volume and you, you're you're trying to get away with low slippage, then you need deep liquidity. So that this they they both attract each other. So this is really what we're what we're trying to value with um with the with the users part. And um <clears throat> the, the the circle model it ties into the next step. So step number three is users and step number four is incentives. So we're going to use this circle model for for both. We're going to use it for incentives and we're going to use it for users. But if Lobos, if you maybe want to go back up to the users part, there is um there are also some some bonus steps. And Mason, you added them. Maybe you want to uh, yeah, talk so, about these because I think they're really important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So like just just generally, like the the third step obviously is so if you do determine that you do need a token, right? Um the idea is that a token can provide a uh, great incentive to get sort of users to do what you want them to do, right? But unless you sort of have a general understanding of what it is they are coming and using your product for, you're not really going to be able to align those incentives, right? So this is the reason why well, it's sort of split between three and four. And also this is why we sort of think about these things first, right? As in it's more user-oriented rather than what do we want these people to do? You know, what, what do we want users to be doing? So the bonus steps sort of fit in between uh, the steps that Flo mentioned um, and sort of add like a bit more context because for example you can let's say uh, I don't know um, you can sort of like get a uh, an understanding of what maybe a user wants to do and, and maybe says what they want to do but then there's this uh, tool that I guess we use called empathy maps where you can um, sort of get a better it's pretty yeah it's pretty much just more context on what a user may do you know so what do they think uh, what do they actually do and then maybe what do they feel right so in the case of the example that we we're talking about so the, the liquidity provider so yeah they probably say that uh, as in if you were to ask them um, and obviously that maybe depends on your product can you actually ask some of your users or not and some of this is going to be a bit hypothetical um, but it is good to think through right um, so in the case of a liquidity provider on Uniswap, well, yeah, they want to gain yield uh, on their assets or maybe, yeah, mitigate risk, right? Um, but then what are they thinking? Well, I mean, they're not, there's no sort of like um, uh, loyalty, I guess you could say. I mean, they'll leave whenever they see best, right, fit for them. So uh, if, for example, SushiSwap uh, provides a better yield, well, they're just going to leave, right? Um, and that's sort of like, reflected in uh, i guess the the does category so uh, this empathy map is divided into four quadrants right it says it says thinks does and feels what does the user say think doesn't feels um and then the thinks and does many time align right so they're thinking that well yeah if there's going to be um 
yeah, Lovis is showing yeah, an example. Yeah. So if, if they are thinking that there's going to be a better yield somewhere else, they're probably going to go and do that, right? They're going to go and move their liquidity. Um, and then the fields uh, category is sort of like, yeah, so uh, they're not loyal, you know, like they're literally thinking for themselves. So that was just, it's just like added context um, to sort of get a better understanding of what this user may or not, uh, may do or may not do, right? Um, so that was the first one. And then the second one is this like uh, behavioral insights, right? And the idea behind this is um, that we are like in designing tokenomics, we're very sort of accustomed to the reason for people uh, participating in your uh, product is because they want to gain financial incentives like financial rewards okay so obviously in the case of uniswap that is that is true so uh, nlp provides liquidity because they want to gain uh, rewards right and that's fine but there is also some cases where the financial rewards aren't uh, i guess like the most important thing but there's also this status or reputation right i mean so i guess you could call them non-financial rewards where people react to uh, maybe gaining reputation or gaining status and they don't really care about uh, earning money, you know? So this is where we sort of get some important context in the sense that if you're gonna be incentivizing people to do behaviors that you want them to be doing and you're just giving them money for it, but in reality, they want status or reputation, well, it's not gonna work very well, isn't it? It's like, if you don't want whatever I'm giving you, then you're just not gonna do what I'm asking, right? Um, so to speak. So we sort of like divide it into two types. Uh, you've got financial rewards and then status and reputation. And then there's like more of a specific uh, motivation, I guess you could say. Uh, there's this like uh, loss aversion, which is um, people don't want to lose what they've already got. Uh, they don't want to miss out also, like um, maybe uh, on, let's say, some opportunities. Um, it could be anything, really. It depends on your product, obviously. Uh, there's also maybe the specific motivation of responsibility. So maybe what they're looking for, what motivates them is to gain responsibility in your, in your product. Um, we can obviously see this like in DAOs, like a lot of people are interested in sort of like, I guess you could say, climb the ranks, so to speak. Um, and then there's also this, this, uh, this other option of like the, the realm of emotions, feelings, and experiences. And this one sort of maps very well to games, right? So people play games because there's an emotional payoff okay so the specific motivation for them to do it is to yeah maybe play with friends um or maybe yeah i don't know uh, get to a certain um achievement you know and that sort of the reason they're playing is because of an emotional payoff so uh maybe rewarding them financially doesn't really make sense in that case you know uh, and then there's the last category which is like this early adopter which um is is uh yeah, I mean, it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? People sort of want to be early. And there's certain ways that we can sort of, uh, if you understand that that's why people are here, then you can sort of incentivize uh, certain, well, you can create sort of uh, incentive schemas on top of that to sort of uh, align what people want with what you're going to be giving them, right? So that was like the general um, idea of uh, giving a bit more, like with these bonus steps, right? It's just to get a better understanding of why the people are literally going to be using your product um, in that you're not really going to be able to get them to do what you want them to do, right? As in align, uh, if you don't understand that beforehand. And that's where step four comes in, uh, which is the incentives, right? Well, and it sounds like in your, it'll, it will be very helpful if I were to launch something to just think through who am I talking to, right? Who's my audience in a way? 
who I, and yeah. I get really clear on who am I building this for and what are the motivations. So yeah, I really like the bonus stuff. I actually hadn't seen that before. Um, yeah, that's very helpful. So I assume so. I mean, here we click to the to the map on an outside resource, and this other one was on a Notion page. But I assume this is all public, right? So anybody can access that via these links. Yeah. 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 Yes. Very cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for working us through that. So now for incentives. So now with all this knowledge and all this insight we've created about our users and their motivations, um, I think it makes logical sense that now we're going to see how can we incentivize to, I guess, what gets out certain, like uh, highlight certain behaviors and maybe de-emphasize others. Is that kind of what's happening now? Yeah. yeah. It's, it pretty much, it, it, the re it's like the reason they're sort of included in the same, like, this circle model that we sort of call it is because I guess the one in the same, it's just that we like to divide it between sort of like, so understanding why the users are here and then, okay, so what do we want them to do? So it's yeah. step three is what do they want? And then step three, step four is uh, what do we want uh, yeah. from them, right? Okay. Um, because the only way you're going to be able to align is understanding both. So the sort of the first step, and I guess like the red ring uh, for people who are watching is like, okay, so what do... Uh, what do we want them to be doing, right? What tasks do we want them to be doing? And then what tasks do we not want them to be doing, right? So in the case of uh, Uniswap, it's obviously, we want them to be adding liquidity or keep or maintain their liquidity, right? And obviously that's the competitive advantage. Um, and then what do we not want them to be doing? Well, it's obviously leaving, like uh, removing that liquidity or like having a high level of churn as in, yeah, so maybe switching between multiple AMMs and whatnot, because that's not obviously good for our product um yeah and so i guess once you sort of identified the tasks then you sort of say okay so what can how can we sort of incentivize uh or, or decentivize those two things right so in the case of um uniswap again it isn't a brilliant example because the token wasn't actually used for that right it was uh, sort of after the fact um but the idea, the general idea for an AMM is, well, we're going to reward people for uh, like being here, right? So for providing liquidity. And this is sort of like, um, we'll talk about why this is a problem in a later step. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess currently the reason people sort of maintain uh, their LP on Uniswap is because they get a decent fee, right? Just for the swaps, um, the swap fee. So and this, this, this doesn't have to do anything with a token, right? This could be other stuff that incentivizes... Um, yeah exactly yeah 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 and that, that's sort of why it's important to go through the, the previous steps to sort of figure out uh i mean i i don't think we mentioned it but like after step two even if you answer no right even after after the token evaluation if you sort of like come out of it and say well i don't really need a token it doesn't mean that you have to stop right because um you sort of can still have a community-based uh project or business that still works right i mean uh it doesn't have to sort of be like you finish there. Yeah. yeah. Well, of course. I mean, otherwise Reddit wouldn't work, right? Or other community-based products wouldn't work if you always had to have a token. <clears throat> the token. Yeah, and there could be mechanisms in place, right? That yeah. like our own DAO mechanisms where we distribute part of the consulting revenue to content creation. Mm -hmm. That has nothing to do with the token, but it's still a mechanism in a way yeah. that um incentivizes people to do stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, like that's that's where a token just enhances things. You know, I mean, we're we're very used to a token being just a financial reward, 
But in reality, I mean, what does any project or business want? I mean, or a network, they want engagement, they want retention um, from users, right? So having uh, sort of mechanisms in place don't necessarily need to be token-based, right? But there doesn't, yeah. there doesn't need to be like an incentive, uh, an understanding of what you can sort of incentivize people um, based on like what you want them to do and, and not do, right? So yeah, yeah. from there, uh, so when you've got an understanding, just going back to the example, so obviously you, um, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> again, Uniswap isn't a good example, but so let's say um, you understand that, okay, so if I want people to stick around, provide liquidity, well, I'm going to incentivize them with uh, some tokens, right? Um, so what is a mechanism that sort of like actually, uh, is like I guess you could call it the implementation of that incentive, right? Um, and I guess it's like, uh, well, using an example, so it's you sort of bootstrapping liquidity um, by paying uh, people to sort of provide uh, liquidity, right? So if you do this, I'm going to pay you for it, right? Now, it's, it's interesting because that has problems. And this is where like the last step uh, in sort of this like circle model comes in. It's sort of thinking about, okay, so the mechanisms that we've sort of talked about uh, what sort of side effects can they have um, and maybe what can we fix, right? Yeah, I think this is where, yeah, maybe Uniswap isn't that bad because I think they, they did this fairly well, right? They, yeah. they came up with this mechanism and said, like, okay, we will have a token. And so what will the mechanism for that um, token for liquidators providers will be? Well, we're going to give them some tokens, mm. Um reward them for providing early liquidity. So this then bootstraps this system where we need a lot of liquidity to enable low slippage and low slippage will then attract traders that will then pay the liquidity providers. So that's always with this kind of marketplace. You need something that helps you to bootstrap it. But <clears throat> the problem, I think that's what a lot of protocols face is how do you, like they're really good at the cold start problem, like solving that, but how do you stop after yeah started right exactly it's like yeah yeah get them <laughs> your off moat. cocaine as quickly as possible yeah like the the your moat can't be your token <laughs> as in yeah the the moat like the reason for people for using your protocol or, or the product can't be because you're being paid it's because of <clears throat> i guess the yeah. business assessment like what we answered in that in that stage yeah. isn't it like um you use uniswap either because it's low slippage you're a trader or if you're an lp you're getting a decent amount of uh, of yield based on fees, right? But it's not because you're being paid uh, with a token. Because if you do go down that route, then I mean, there's always going to be somebody who's going to be able to pay more because they're just maybe launching and they've got a new token, and you just get to this mercenary liquidity problem. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, they, whenever you they, run out of tokens, right? So they just yeah. throw. Yeah. You're right. They just throw outside money at it, right? So get some funding that has nothing to do with the value creation of the product. Um, yeah. but it's not sustainable, right? So then people start just being tourists for these protocols. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And that's where I think this step is really good, right? So you kind of come up with the mechanism first and then you, you add these side effects, like what, what problems could come out of that? And in this case, it's really this, if we keep doing this for too long, people will only be here for that. So we have to see if this works rather like sooner than later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and find out if they're here for the real yield that they get from the traders. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. 
Yeah. And so maybe then like, so for this circle model, right? In this example here, we've, and for the people only listening, like, like the why I like this is you start with notes, with these post-it notes from the inside and, you know, they just order them in some way. <clears throat> but then um, when you move to the outer layers, you'll have uh, topics that relate to each other, right? You'll have some, um, what is it? You'll have some task that a user performs and that then relates to some why they use the product. So it's it's kind of cool because then you can follow this train of initial thought and evolve it more and more until you get to the very outer layer. So in, yeah. in ones that are a bit more complex than our example here, we'd have like post-it note trails going into all sorts of directions because um, they're kind of connected. So to me, you could add lines between the post-its, but I'm, I'm too lazy for this. So I just put them into like close proximity, I guess, yeah. so that people can see the these are kind of related to each other. Yeah, because there will be mechanisms that sort of like relate to different problems, I guess, or different uh, yeah. tasks that users are, are sort of doing. And that's sort of like the reason why it's, it's a circle and not just like a simple um, like table, right? Because it just doesn't, a table doesn't allow for this. You know, it's uh, maybe a lot bigger <laughs> than the table, but it's it does make sense. Um, but yeah, yeah, feedback is always, is, always, is always good. Well, I mean, <laughs> luckily space and on infinity whiteboards is cheap so <laughs> it can be as big as it wants to be whatever is practical right yeah. um okay cool so you guys walked me through the circle model all the way from the inside to the outside so we did mechanism design and then okay so i guess now we're trying to pour so what happens here we're trying to pour what we learned in the circle into a kind of an easier overview format or something yeah and try and summarize it because i think the circle model will get quite um messy because to me it's really about this of like throwing ideas at it collaborating with the with the team just throwing everything at it get really creative and so this is taking taking stock in a way of what have we done and what are the ones that are really relevant that we have vetted and that that seem to make sense here mm -hmm. and so you can you can add a few of these um here we've got these these carts with a few prompts that will uh, ask you some questions in in terms of like, where do the tokens come from? Is this mechanism a sync or a source? So this is something we've we've borrowed from game design, right? Mm -hmm. So there, a, a sync is something that takes uh, tokens away out of circulation or, or puts them, like holds them temporarily, which could be something like demand. And a source, uh, yeah, would be wherever the tokens come from. And so, yeah, we have a whole bunch of different questions that we're asking here where people can like, try and refine their mechanism, think through them a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. And yeah, once we have that, you, or that's at least what I like to do. Some people might not want to do that or don't like it, but I recommend creating such a diagram. Like for me, at least it helps to map it out and visualize it, explain it to others what we're what we're thinking of mm -hmm. and um yeah yeah it, it also helps yeah. It, yeah to get a, like an idea of like the the token flow especially with the next step that we'll talk about uh it yeah. does yeah. it does help quite a bit um yeah and maybe so, like the non the non-visual learners won't like it as much but it is <laughs> it is useful for quite a lot of people i guess yeah yeah 
<clears throat> so yeah, to create a diagram, we've got a template there to do it. And I, I guess like a piece of critique that we would get for for this design framework so far is that there's no modeling on what the mechanism specifically does. And we're aware of that. We're working on it. The problem is just if you want to DIY this stuff, I guess it's incredibly hard to do. And we haven't found any good resources that allow people to use this in a simple way. So maybe in the future, um, if we find something or if you have something, please share that with us. We'll have some maybe like simple spreadsheets that you can use to calculate um, your mechanisms. Yeah. We just yeah. usually just, yeah, get into a spreadsheet and just dump some numbers in there, play around with that a little bit to see what makes sense. I mean, in consulting, we're using some some basic uh, supply and demand modeling, but it's mostly about kind of the setup values, I want to say, right? So it's like you try to, to find what's your initial condition and then modeling tries to go beyond that, but that's very difficult. Um, that you go deep into data science. So I think it makes sense that this is not included in a free framework <laughs> that we're providing, that we're putting together. If we could, I'd love to, but I haven't found, like there's CADCAT that I think the token engineers commons makes, but yeah, you gotta know how to do Arlo Python and you have to be really familiar with this kind of stuff. So you can't just come in and, and, and do this real quick. It's just yeah. too difficult. And I, I think like, to be honest, um, many, we said this before pre-recording, I hope, but we said this, I think it's, <laughs> otherwise I would repeating, but it, it's, it's like, th there's so many tokens that have probably done modeling and modeled the crap out of everything, but still failed. And I think a big reason for why they failed is because they haven't looked at the business model and how, um, their value creation of their business then ties back to the token. So maybe let's focus a bit more on that then get too crazy about modeling. And if you really want modeling, there's lots of people out there that can do it. Um, but yeah, <clears throat> I guess this brings us to token value accrual. Yeah. Because right? here we want to bring this balance between supply and demand and find out how our token collects some of that value or accrues some of that value that we've created. Okay. So how do you do that? So like, oh, I guess yeah. off of step four, um, you're sort of thinking about mechanisms that are going to be sort of distributing tokens, right? For certain behaviors. So we've identified what people want. We've identified what we want. Um, we've, we've thought about mechanisms that sort of align those two things, right? And then obviously those mechanisms are gonna be distributing some form of, uh, of reward, right? So uh, in many cases, obviously a token. So how do we sort of, think about, um, okay, so how are we going to, like, um, is there going to be, be a mismatch there, right? Is, is there, because if you, if you distribute things to people, um, it doesn't specifically, like, no, you have to sort of think about the demand, right? Like, why would there be um, reason for somebody to buy it or hold it, right? Now, simply because you're giving it to somebody doesn't mean they're going to want it, doesn't mean they're going to hold it. And if they can sell it, they they, they probably will, right? If there's no real reason for sort of holding it. So this is where we sort of think about how are we going to uh, maybe balance the two, right? So balance the supply that we're sort of distributing to people and then how are we going to think about 
the demand that's going to back uh, or absorb that supply. Okay, so the the five point one taking stock right is is literally that. So we're thinking about okay, so what the mechanisms that we've previously identified, um, they're probably going to be supply um, mechanisms in that they are sort of rewarding users for certain tasks, certain activities. There could be um, examples of demand mechanism mechanisms at this stage. Um, and I guess you could add them. Uh, it isn't that normal, uh, but it can be, uh, there can be a situation where you've created a demand me mechanism in stage four. Um, but yeah, we're sort of thinking about, so how is the supply being distributed in this first stage, right? Um, and then uh, what can we sort of think about sort of, um, I guess, uh, balance the two, right? So distribution of tokens would be supply and then removal uh, or requirement of tokens would be demand, okay? So um, these two steps sort of uh, go in tandem in that you're thinking about the balance between uh, both of them. And it, it, like we said, there's no modeling here. So it's not gonna be a, uh, a quantitative thing. It's more getting an understanding of where there could be a mismatch between the two, right? Mm -hmm. um, because uh, that's sort of one way that the, the token is going to reflect uh, the value created by whatever it is the users are doing, right? Yeah, and then you can still take that and put that into a spreadsheet if you want to. Um, to suss yeah. out sort of you know, how much supply, how much demand yeah. something would create if you can. Yeah. Right, so, and but the output here on the board is distribution of tokens, removal requirement of tokens. So you're trying to just make a list of potential supply and demand factors or yeah mechanisms so, right mechanisms. yeah so the mechanisms that we created above we're trying to transfer them down here okay exactly and think about yeah. which of them like introduce or distribute tokens put them like put them into into supply and which remove them or like require them or make people hold them right mm -hmm. because if you yeah if you have like a staking mechanism for instance that's not really removal of tokens. They're still there and people could withdraw them from staking any time. Um, so they could be reintroduced, but yeah, stuff yeah. that kind of creates demand for the token generally on the mechanism side. So we're trying to start with that. It's taking stock. Or for example, in like the removal requirement section, if you sort of identify that one of your users uh, doesn't want to say miss out on let's say whatever information your product is, is producing, right? Uh, it's like loss aversion. Well, maybe you've created a, uh, a mechanism above that sort of says, okay, well, uh, there's gonna be a requirement of X amount of tokens to sort of have access to, to this uh, information. And because they don't wanna miss out because they sort of, they, that's what they're here for, right? They're going to sort of buy, well, it's, uh, I guess you could say they, they're more aligned with maybe buying those tokens, holding them to sort of get what they want. So. That is, I guess, the idea of like the requirements of tokens um, mm -hmm. part in that it's a demand, right? Yeah. So in the case of Uniswap, um, the only supply that sort of they they had was, I guess, this early rewards uh, given out to like uh, liquidity providers. So like I said, I mean, they're giving it out to, to them, but what is the reason they're gonna hold it? Like, so if, imagine you're, you're an LP, and so all of a sudden Uniswap is distributing tokens to you just because you've been an LP, right? I mean, you didn't sign up uh, for being an LP because of the token. You literally were doing it because you wanted, let's say the fees, right? 
So now you've got an extra token that extra income that you're sort of thinking, well, do, do I go on this? Should I just sell it? So this is where, uh, in the case of Uniswap, it's quite interesting because the, the demand for the token uh, is, <laughs> I don't know how, how you sort of name it, but it's a bit vague. Uh, it's sort of this, this, just this governance, isn't it, over the, uh, the treasury, which is also denominated in, in uni. So it's a bit, it's a bit weird. Um, but it's, uh, I guess, also a bit speculative. So people are sort of uh, speculating that if you sort of own this Uniswap token, then when they uh, do turn on this uh, supposed fee switch, which will distribute um, revenue to, uh, I guess, the treasury, then you're going to be able, you're going to be entitled to a percentage of that, right? Because currently mm -hmm. there's no other, I guess, um, yeah. demand yeah. for uh, for the token, right? It doesn't do anything else. Yeah, it lets you vote, but it, it only lets you vote over the treasury that they have filled out of the Genesis supply. Yeah. Right? So it's their, it's their own printed money that they've put into their treasury and you can decide what happens to that printed money. So yeah, it's, weird, it's not actually, right? so it's not like, yeah. yeah, it's not protocol governance, is it? It's like they, they can't vote, like holders can't vote on what they want Uni V4 to look like. Um, I don't know how far that goes, but um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not an expert on, on that, but yeah, they, they can decide how, how to dis distribute that treasury of Uni tokens, yeah. mind you. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> So, so I guess in that speculation, <laughs> yeah. So there's obviously speculation there, and then there's this, yeah, governance factor over the, the their own printed money, <laughs> so the, over the treasury, which is dominated yeah. in in uni, right? So I guess those are the two main demand drivers, uh, main demand uh, factors for yeah. the token, and then obviously there's only one of the uh, the one that we mentioned for supply. Um, now. And that's fine, obviously. So uh, you just get a general sense of the idea is to get a general sense of okay. So is that balanced? Is it not balanced? Again, yeah. it's, it's qualitative. It's not quantitative. Um, but a good example is the uh, Ethereum uh, EIP one five nine one five five nine, which they sort of implemented sort of right after the fact to sort of uh, equal these two things, right, a bit better, um, like mon monetary policy. Um, and obviously, we've seen that it's had sort of a pretty good effect on uh, on, on on token price or value accrual, I guess you could say. Um, yeah. And then, well, I forgot to mention, but basically, this in in thinking about demand, reasons for people to hold it, buy and hold the token. I guess there's two types, right? You've got the internal and then the external. Uh, so. External would be like this EIP 1559 uh, monetary policy type thing where it's literally a, uh, an, it's an external factor, right? Or, or market forces, I guess you could say. Um, and then you've got the internal stuff, which is pretty much utility, right? So in the case of Uniswap, it's uh, governance. So the people are going to, the reason they're going to buy and hold it is because they have voting rights over the treasury. Yeah. And here you might come up with like, oh, I think we don't have enough demand drivers. We need to think through some more utilities for the token or maybe yeah. some external ones to to balance out. Yeah. So this is then, yeah, that, that's kind of what we want out of this section five mm -hmm. generally. Yeah. I mean, I guess there is some like something that we've not added here 
is that I think to create proposals, you do have to have a certain amount of uni. And I think it's something absurd, like 2.5 million tokens. So I guess there is somewhat of a flaw, so to speak, yeah. involved in this. Um, and that, I guess, it's, it's part of utility. It's, part, it's partly internal, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think like governance is always is, is like in between, sort of. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. Okay. Well, so, okay, and you, you guys also enclose a bunch of resources basically on the topic, right, of um, demand drivers. So some really good articles. I've read several of those. Um, yeah. But yeah, for the That's for the new yeah. new person digging into this, definitely highly recommend. So to take a look at these links provided. And we also have, like, there's a Tokenomics 101 article on Uniswap mm -hmm. that we've written. So to give you right. more context. The, it's... Yeah, I think linked it's linked here. Up in the upper right corner somewhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah, here it is. There it is. You're almost there. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Anyway. Cool. Okay. So no. we've figured out our token value accrual. Try to balance supply and demand. And so now we're going into number six distribution. Um, yeah. So what, what's distribution? Well, because there, there's something missing, right? We've um, We've done the mechanisms and the mechanisms show us how to um, distribute tokens on some level on, on like what generates supply. Maybe we want to incentivize a group of people here. We want to incentivize a group of people there. Maybe there's some other utility that takes tokens out of supply, whatever you've come up with all these things. But in most cases, you're going to use your token also as a form of payment, raising money or raising time. Mm -hmm. um, and so think that's, that's kind of, this is the step where you want to think about that, right? How much do you have to give to your, investors your vc so that they're happy how much does your team want um what's like the the grand sum of all the stuff all the mechanisms that you've calculated in the previous step um on like how many tokens yeah you you need to get to who yeah so like, we've got a, what's fair too <laughs> i guess yeah exactly what's fair yeah so there's there's some good resources here on what others have done you can look into that and then on the right side, so this this one maybe if you go up a little bit, Lovis, this is a this is a little bit different, because um, this is here we'll get away from like dragging around post its and come up with ideas. Here we really need to get into um, a spreadsheet, and so we have created this um, spreadsheet, and it's it's really basic, right? You can define all the holders of the token, and also define the percentages of how many tokens they would get. You can come up with like a total number of tokens that you want to give away. And um, yeah, that's really the super simple of it in this step that we're going to do. Um, yeah. And then all of that stuff that you're scrolling through that right now, Lovis is, is kind of scrolling through the spreadsheet. There's a whole bunch of other things like um, we've tried to, add some templates if you wanted to go about mapping supply and demand. Um, we're going to vesting, but that's most of that is step 6.2, which is um, which we call timing and emission schedule. And so in this step, uh, if you think back to the supply and demand map, right, the piece where we tried to balance supply and demand, what was missing in the supply and demand map is time because Supply and demand will both evolve over time, right? You'll have uh, tokens 
trickling out over time to your investors because you might or you hopefully will be able to talk them into some sort of vesting scheme so you can protect yourself from tokens being dumped early on. Um, and you can allow your ecosystem to grow because like, let's say you're starting a marketplace, you won't get to the 100 million users that you want straight away. That will take some time. And so this is really about trying to bring in this time aspect. How long is it going to take until your all of these demand mechanisms have evolved or unfolded over time? And how long does it take for all of your supply mechanisms to have evolved over time? And the end result is really, in most cases, just this vesting schedule, right? It will show us the vesting schedule and maybe some other mechanisms or some some deeper specifications of your mechanisms on how quickly they will uh, release your tokens, right? So Mason, I've just read your uh, article that isn't published yet on Convex. Yeah. Right? And they've got this mechanism, how they distribute tokens based on, I think, how many curve tokens they hold, right? Or how much revenue they get from the curve tokens. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's based on the CRV that they earn, right? Based on the LPs that they have, that people deposit yeah. into yeah. Convex. So that's so different. All sorts of different like, ways. Yeah. Yeah. On how you can do this or how this can be linked to whatever. Yeah. 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 And again, like if, if you take the spreadsheet here, um, yeah, I look into that. There's, yeah, we just tried to, the, the minimum would be you go and take all the different groups that you give tokens to, like there might be a pool for rewards of your incentives. There might be a pool for investors and for team and for community and all that. And you sort of think through how or what the general ways of unlocking and distributing these tokens would be. And there's a good resource here. It's called the optimal vesting schedule where someone has analyzed that from a whole bunch of VCs um, and token launches on how they've done vesting. So yeah, this is a pretty good resource to get an idea of how others have done it. So you can kind of, yeah, take yeah. that as, as a range on where to start. Mm-hmm. But then yeah, once like that would be the minimum thing that that that, w- that we'd like you to do in this, or that you should be doing in this, is is think through how you would supply. But then, if you want to get a bit more fancy, um, you could look into demand and try and match the demand against that over time. Now, this is going to be really tricky, especially for stuff like demand from governance. Like, who knows what that will create? But you can make some assumptions and guess, um, just to get a better understanding, of, and then maybe have different scenarios. Uh, just yeah, to to get a bit closer to what you think could work. Yeah, I guess this is where another and another it's another instance of where modeling could come in, right? Um, yeah. And you're always going to have, like you say, uh, uncertainties in you don't know how much speculation is going to be around your token and how much demand that's going to create for it. But you can sort of model, I guess, the internal demand based on the utility. Um, yeah. Like if your token is very currency like and let's say link for example you can sort of base that uh you can you, you can get an idea uh, off of what that is going to look like right based uh, yeah. on some models yeah. how many people need oracle services right per month and that how much demand yeah. for the token will that create yeah okay so when i'm are these um these these examples here with these uh, graphs, are they meaningful to 
anything or they they they're just example that you put pasted in here yeah they're just example we just made right. some stuff up to to show um yeah that this would kind of show like an evolution of demand versus supply mm -hmm. and yeah if you can get the numbers right or you get a, an understanding for the numbers this can be helpful really cool yeah, yeah i think it's very helpful um, it's very helpful mm -hmm. at least in getting the initial assumptions right because I think there's still plenty of projects that launch forget about an unlock period or a vesting schedule um, and or have give, them too short or have them too long yeah. give early investors like a crazy pre-seed evaluation is really cheap and then what ends up happening is that they just bleed out over time because investors keep selling with high profits and everybody else is left holding the bag so to say yeah, okay. it also cool. it also sort of like affects your token value accrual, right? If you get this wrong, yeah. it's they're sort of linked, so to speak. Um, if you get it wrong, it's going to affect that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you oversupply, I mean, but I guess is it fair to say you always want to rather have too little tokens in circulation than too many, right? If you had to make an error, better to have too few because it should be better for nominal price of the token if that's your goal um okay cool so we've yeah, figured depends, this so. out yeah i know <laughs> but yeah um timing and emission yeah. schedule got the template there got some really good resources and so now we're going to token launch so now it's getting exciting so what's uh what's applied here yeah i guess this is thinking about the number of tokens right getting back to how many how many tokens you want to want to launch like to me it's mostly optics right the and then you think about the the price that you want to launch at um and that's also probably optics right the market cap that you want to launch at is probably also has to do with optics right it's maybe you want to launch at 100 million market cap and so you you set a token price what you want to start at and then you uh yeah you you kind of have your your number of tokens and that then adds up to that number and then you think about like how much liquidity do i need for this right on a decentralized exchange if i'm going to only trade on liquid on decentralized exchanges or how much do i need on centralized exchanges now i guess on different exchanges there's different ways they do it like if you get to launch on binance they're going to provide liquidity for you but they're going to do some very thorough investigation into what you're doing before they're going to launch your token they wouldn't launch anything like Luna or something like that. Just kidding. But um, they, <laughs> uh, they, um, yeah, th that's that's the kind of stuff you look into, right? So you would, you would yeah, things that you could do. You can go to you go to like Uniswap and look at a token that has kind of a market cap that you want to target, and you look at what the liquidity is that they've provided, and then you can sum up all the different liquidity pools that offer their token. You can maybe go to a couple of other exchanges. Yeah. And then you can kind of sum that up and then you can derive from that how many, how many tokens you need. Right. But at this stage, yeah. if you are not like, if you're kind of doing this on your own, I, I think it'd be worth getting in maybe UBC or a market maker to help you suss this out a little bit um, and figure this out in a bit more detail. Yeah. Because but, yeah. If, if you have, for example, uh, like depending on how much the percentage you want to release of your 
um, of your token allocation, it can sort of uh, depend on, I guess, the amount of liquidity you're sort of pairing that with, right? So if you're if you don't have much liquidity to sort of uh, pair your your token with, then it could allow for, I guess, whales to come in and like gain a disproportionate amount of the allocation, right? Um, and it would be less distributed. So, yeah, yeah. like, I guess it's sort of based off of the uh, fully diluted valuation. So if you have, let's say, 100K worth of, uh, of liquidity, USDC or whatever it is, um, and you're going to release 10% of your tokens, well, that's an FTV of like a million, right? So yeah. it isn't that in the crypto space, it isn't that big, right? And and if somebody comes in and buys a chunk of that, well, they could get uh, a decent amount of, of the allocation. And if that comes with governance rights, then that can be a problem. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So this section helps you think that through um, to yeah. some degree. I mean, that's, a, that's probably even people that have launched before, because this is something you really only do a few times right token launches don't happen that often like all the work going before and after um i guess most people are much more familiar with it feels more uh doable but thinking this stuff through is pretty tricky so i, I like flo's advice like see if you can get a market maker or a vc to talk to your doctor yeah talk talk <laughs> this through right cool definitely um Awesome. And then I see our last point is light paper. So light papers are, yeah. you know, I, I know that we produce a lot of these for clients. Um, and so what's what's included here in the framework? Yeah, it's pretty much just the recommendation to use our template um, yeah. to document everything. Because that's something that got us started on this, all of this, right? Is because tokens and the mechanisms and the tokenomics are not well documented they're in fact like terribly documented so every single time you look into a token and you try to figure out what their business model is how the token works it's just a pain i've only mm -hmm. seen a few that have documented that well um where you could understand what it actually was that was behind this so this is what we are trying to to get people to do to write this down not only you know it's really important investors want to see it they probably users want to see it other builders would be super interested in that so this if you filled out the whole uh, tokenomics design framework um in this uh, light paper template there are yellow highlighted sections that will uh, tell you which section to fill out if you've gone through the framework so it's really quite simple you've done all the work so now just copy it in there and write it out a little bit make it look nice and then publish it yeah, I mean, you've yes, gone yes, through yeah. this entire thing for your understanding. So if you've had to go through it to, to understand what you're trying to do, right, then it just makes sense that, I mean, people that are going to want to invest or just understand the product, they're going to have to go through some form of, I guess, similar structure, right? Yeah. Um, because that could just be a, a big barrier otherwise. Yeah, yeah absolutely. For documentation. So cool, guys. Uh, good job on creating the framework. Um, I mean, I you know we've talked about it now for almost an hour and fifteen minutes, I think. So it's it's very in depth, right? It really helps you step through the uh, phases of th of thought, I guess, that have to go into 
um, getting clarity on your business value creation and then figuring out your mechanisms and see how you can tie this all together with a token, balancing your supply and demand, figuring out your distribution. And then at the end, don't put this good work in the closet, put it in a light paper and publish it. And this framework will literally take you by the hand and walk you through this the whole way. I can't stop scrolling around because it's so cool. <laughs> um, awesome, guys. Thank you so much for walking us through this and giving us the uh, examples. Um, I think this is super helpful in understanding how to use this and what it's good for and who it's relevant for. Um, do you guys have any closing thoughts you want to share? Um, well, yeah, I mean, obviously try it out. And if you have feedback in the Discord is, uh, I don't think we have a link to the Discord in here, do we? On the Figma, uh, the Fig Jam. But uh, yeah, definitely try it out. And if you, see, if you see any problems or things that you change or things you do differently, we're all ears. Yeah, we're really interested in evolving this to get this and keep this up to date so that um, this will be useful also in a year's time and won't just sit there and, and gather to collect dust, right? We want to keep this relevant. Yeah. So please tell us what you liked, what you have changed, and um, we'll see if we can fit it in. And also, if you want to contribute, of course, join us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then it's happy. as said in the intro, right? So if you're somewhere halfway in this process and you're feeling overwhelmed, reach out and ask for help, right? The community is there for you. Cool. This podcast was not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly educational and is not investment advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice. Talk to your accountant, do your own research. None of this is legal advice. This podcast is strictly educational. Talk to your lawyer.